What's what's good, Nigel? Hey man, I'm blessed, man. How are you? Man, I can't complain, man. Won't change nothing. No doubt, no doubt. Let me put a comment in here real quick for everybody. All right. Letting people get a chance to get up in here. Hey, y'all let me know if y'all can hear me good too. I don't want to have the music or nothing too loud. So uh, let me pin this real quick and close this out. All right, let me stop the music. So we go ahead and get started. Actually, let me do something real quick. I need to turn my I want to turn my monitors where we at. Mic check, mic check two, microphone check, one, two, what is this? Cool, man. I had to put some monitors in my ears so I can hear myself. But y'all, man, appreciate y'all for tuning in to the Textual Talk podcast. I'm actually been enjoying going live. Been pretty good. I don't have to do as much editing on the back end for y'all. And once it's finished processing, the quality comes out superb. But we're going to get into it today, man. As y'all know, I got my guy Nacho Boston with us today. And he's going to talk about kind of ascension, how he went from doing help desk to now he's in cybersecurity in under a year. It's possible with no gimmicks. But while we were had troubleshooting earlier, he mentioned something about One Piece. So I'm going to put him on the spot and ask him, you know, what's his favorite animes? Old, new, current. <clears throat> You know, no. What's your favorite animes? Yeah, no doubt. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it a, I'm gonna keep it a bean. I'm not an anime guy, but I okay. do, I do enjoy. I was a fan of Dragon Ball Z for sure. Okay, for sure. Yeah, that's understandable. I mean, most people went to school. How old are you? Twenty nine. Okay, yeah. So yeah, you was coming home from school and Toonami was on, so you probably seen Dragon Ball Z. I had uncles that like pretty much introduced me to anime at, like a young age. Like elementary school, we were watching the Japanese versions of. DBZ. So like third or fourth grade, we were already watching him fight a sale. Right. Wow. It wasn't even on that. Like, you know, through Toonami with the Funimation dub. Let me see. Turn this down. So. But yeah, man, let me get back into it. So without further ado, go ahead and like introduce everybody to you. Like who is Nigel? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So my name is Nigel, Nigel Boston, Florida boy, born in Miami, raised in Jacksonville, big into sports. Learn technology at a young age, breaking things, not wanting to tell my parents. So I ended up trying to fix it myself. Took computer classes in high school, elementary. Then after that, did some studying, college a bit. Got away from technology, did some managerial work. And then also always being told about cybersecurity, right? I was always uh, told about it, told me that that was going to be the wave in the future. Just technology in general, tech. So even though I got away from it, in early 2021, I really, you know, made a conscious effort to be like, you know what, let me focus on tech. Let me, you know, elevate my skills and did some work, did a camp. We could talk about that. And then I did that for six months, got a good foundational knowledge of cybersecurity, did some certifications, a lot of hands-on labs. And in 2022, I got a job as a contractor in help desk. Just to give a quick story on that, when I got, you know, after I got the offer, it was three of us. And, you know, there was a manager and a supervisor after we, you know, gave us our introduction. I was like, look, I appreciate you guys, you know, allowing me to join this team, but I'm not going to be here long. Like my goal is to get into cybersecurity. And I knew from that moment, they really respected it. So after that, grinded for like 10 months. And then 10 months later, I'm in a mid-level cybersecurity position. Nice, man. Nice. Let me make sure I ain't got Okay, perfect. Yeah, I thought about the Key Sweat little TikTok song. I'm not going to be here for long if I'll twist it when you said that. So I heard you say something about like you was doing like some managerial things before you got back kind of like in the tech, right? Yeah. Okay. Could you touch on that a little bit? Kind of. I want you to touch on like 
maybe like after high school, did you decide to go to college, no college, kind of what were you doing then and kind of what made you really want to transition into getting into IT? Yeah. So after after high school, you know, I did the traditional couple of classes of community college, really wasn't really wasn't vibing with it. You know, you know, college isn't for everyone. For me, I knew I had a, a, a skill in being, you know, be able to communicate with people in that leadership kind of position. So I was a supervisor and then I got up, brought up to a higher level managerial role at a company I worked at previously. And then after that, during that time is when I started to see the shift in tech, when I started to see like, you know, you know, six figure, you know, role. And, you know, I was cautious of that too, because I know a lot of people are still preaching that today. Like, you know, you can get a cybersecurity entry level six figures, like it's possible, but realistically, you know, very few, but I knew I was capable of doing that. Right. So once I knew that I was able to do that is when I said, like I said, early at the towards the end of 2021 is when I really like sat down. I was like, all right, look, like I'm going to get into tech, but not I want to get at a high level in tech, right? So I wanted to get in cybersecurity. And like I said, I had a mentor who gave me that foundational knowledge and resources as far as what I needed to do, you know, introduced me to the Professor Messers, the Jason Dion's of the world and stuff like that. So once I got that information and locked in, I'm talking like really locked in, like 2021, towards the end of 2021, all the way until now, I was strictly cybersecurity. Like I was on a strict discipline regimen of learning my skills. A lot of the stuff that I know now is self-taught. The bootcamp gave me a foundational knowledge of red team, blue team, stuff like that. But everything I learned was through videos on YouTube, coaching stuff that you post on your page on YouTube, you, day. Y'all were really instrumental with me getting my foundational skills. So once I got that and got my opportunity, and we'll talk about that as well, biggest thing was networking through LinkedIn. Once I got my opportunity to showcase my skills, it was a wrap. Dope, man. The fact that you brought on your mentor... I want to touch on that briefly. Like, how important do you think mentorship is for someone's like career journey or their trajectory? Because I know for me, I, I probably could say I had kind of like one mentor back then. For the most part, he did kind of steer me in the right direction when I got my first sec plus. But after that, because they weren't a person that worked in infosec, they weren't that much of a help to me. But as I went on, I found different people I could look to or get inspired from younger and older than myself but briefly like how did like a light bulb go off like when that when that mentor talked to you and told you to check out these things or or what yeah absolutely so the mentor was or was in infosec so i was able to get basically to answer the first question is it important absolutely the mentor can guide you and make you know guide you in a way to where you don't have to go through a long go through a long journey right he can give you resources that may take you longer to find or direct you to people that you may need to network with and stuff like that to you know excel your journey so once i was given those resources and understood i just you know grabbed the ball and ran with it and along my journey i did meet more mentors right so i did meet more people deeper in infosec to you know help me excel my journey so like I said, you know, I started in January in the help desk position. And then 10 months later, I was a mid-level in cybersecurity. Nice, man. Nice. So let's get right into it. The truth about T help desk. And so since you didn't stay there that long, uh, you probably won't feel like the people who were there, like for me, two years. And I've known people that's been there for five plus years. But talk about what was your first experience? Like when you first did the help desk job, kind of what did you think about it? Yeah. Help desk introduces you to like 
the foundational skills of IT tech. I, I equivalent it to the, the CompTIA A+, right? You learn about, you know, troubleshooting, critical thinking. It also gives you a skill in communications, right? So you're helping end users on the other side fix their problems, like their printer's not working or they're locked out of the computer and need a password reset, stuff like that, right? So, and I, I knew that going into the role before I got the role, but I knew I didn't want to be in that role for a long time, right? I didn't, I knew that. And I think the biggest thing is to go in, if you, if you, to each his own, if you want to go into that role, make sure you have a plan. Make sure that when I was in that role, outside of that, after I did my nine to five, I went back into cybersecurity. I started learning. Like I wasn't, I was learning what I did in help desk, but I also made sure I was doing and doing my learning on cybersecurity. But within that role in help desk, it does give you a good foundational skills of IT on a broad level, right? So what I learned in that was obviously to enhance my communication skills, then also get maybe some fine tuning in my overall IT knowledge. So networking, learning about firewalls, active directory, stuff like that. And then, yeah, that was that was really it. I knew, like I said, I knew from the beginning that I wasn't going to be in that role long. And I think the most, the biggest problem with people who go into help desk, they they don't have a plan to exit. Like they'll get in, but they don't know how to to, to transition to a higher position, like maybe even a junior sysadmin or assistant admin administrator or network engineer, stuff like that, right? They don't, I think they don't have a plan to exit. So I walked in with an exit plan and I made my exit plan known to my manager and supervisor, which which could be kind of wild. No, I mean, you're very intentional with what you want to do. You, you said a lot of stuff that we actually want to touch on. I wanted you to go back into help desk, right? I kind of want you to explain kind of when you, the help desk, because as you know, there are help desks that do many different things. They're like bare bones, like you probably just answering calls and escalating stuff, help desk to help desk that you actually do, just admin type of work, but you got the help desk title. So could you tell the viewers kind of like what was your day to day in help desk? Yeah, absolutely. My day to day looked like, you know, standard, obviously, password resets. That was a, the, the driver, password resets, users forgetting their passwords, getting locked out of their passwords stuff like that, helping people with printer problems, helping people with, you know, just very generic issues, Excel, Outlook, maybe some voice troubleshooting, stuff like that. But I would say the the, the day-to-day for me was, you know, on average, we're going to throw numbers, maybe about 20, 25 calls. Typically, most of them password resets. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's how the day-to-day went, you know, nine to five. But uh, what, what that teaches you as well is discipline, right? You know, every you kind of knew how your day was going to look. And, you know, I don't believe in motivation. Right. I, I believe in discipline. So I knew every time I woke up and I you know, was going to do this job and help desk what my day to day looked like. And it wasn't a fact of like, oh, am I going to do it? It's like it has to get done and then knew what my goal was outside of that. Right. So the day to day was it, that's what it looked like pretty much for me. OK, but I'm trying to draw to you like so I know you said Pastor Risa. Mm-hmm. Did y'all, did you like help use like email? Did you help set up any account access or make sure that it had okay. to access network share folders? I'm right. trying to do something like that because oftentimes when I do these consultations, mm-hmm. I tell the people and a lot of times they think they don't have experience or the requisite experience to be in cybersecurity. And then I say, I say, okay, boom. So you say you do this. What's your day to day? Kind of like what I just asked you. Then I'll pull out the things that I know that are actually in cybersecurity that they just aren't aware of. Like, you know, but you're doing password resets or if you're 
doing access management, that could trickle over to doing the ID and the access management just for organization, which is huge, but underrated in the sense that it's not sexy. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was trying to get you to get in the kind of like whoever's doing help desk. They can be like, oh, okay, I do got some skills. I really can do this. Yeah, definitely. So, and let me preference as well. You would know as well, like in help desk, there's there's tiers, right? It'll be like a, a tier one, tier two, tier three type of thing. So typically access, you know, providing, you know, different permissions and accesses within like, all right, this user needs access to this shared folder, stuff like that would, would typically be more like a tier two type of thing. We did, depending on what the ask was. So I see where you're going with that. And to kind of like piggyback off that, yes, those type of day-to-days or duties that you're doing within that role do are transferable skills in that domain of identity access management, which you just spoke on. Like a lot of people don't talk about it, but like that's not going anywhere. That's like the keys to cybersecurity, right? Identity and access management. So yeah, but typically those kind of given permissions, stuff like that was like a tier two thing, which was I wasn't on that team. Okay. Yeah. Like I would say... When I did it, we had like, they used to try to get over, man. So it was like tier one, then it was tier 1.5, which really was tier two. That's crazy. And they just had the access, like you said, to do the things that we couldn't do. But right. the skills I gained from there, I I still big up to this day. I haven't did help this in like six years, but I still big it up. So I'm talking about these are like some high, you know, up levels, like roles. So right. I'll build up like my documentation skills, mm-hmm. my soft skills, knowing my audience, knowing how to take something technical and explain everything that a non-technical person would need to know in a digestible format. You don't right. know how underrated that is because a lot of times you'll work with people. A lot of times they're trying to flex, you know, their intellect on people. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, my job is if I need some information from you or I need you to see some information that can keep our organization safe, I just need to keep it simple. Like all the extra stuff, use that for the people on your team. That's the way you guys talk to each other. You guys all know. It's like imagine sending an end user something about, hey, we found these IOCs on your host machine. And they're like, what is that? Instead of saying, hey, we found, you know, a malicious, like, you know, a bad file on your machine, you know, hey, how did you download it? Or why did you download it? Like, right. that's way much easier for them to understand. And I actually was going to put this on LinkedIn. I was like, cybersecurity is really more common sense versus rocket science. A hundred percent. I agree. hundred percent. I think like a lot of people try to make it harder than what it is. And some instances, and don't get me wrong, like if you're doing like some more engineering work where you got to fix something or you're doing it on the back end, yeah. where you're doing a lot of coding, that yeah. is harder because you learn a different language and you got to know right. how to use the language to execute what needs to be done. Right. But when it comes to just common sense stuff, especially like security awareness or controls and basic threat Mm -hmm. modeling, Mm -hmm. it's not rocket science. You just got to kind of think it out. I agree. I agree. And and you're right. A lot of people do try and flex their intellect. Like I said, I I haven't been in the space that long. I haven't seen it too much. I know the engineers and the architects, they joke around about it a lot. I've seen that. But yeah, the, the basic foundation is, hey, let's get this information. I, I know I'm kind of going into what threat modeling, you spoke on threat modeling, but yeah, how can I take this information and put it in layman terms to higher level leadership, like CISOs, VPs, directors, you know what I'm saying? So Right. And so what I'll touch on now is for you to make this transition, what did you do? For example, if you go through my comments, whether it be on YouTube, Instagram, mm-hmm. Twitter, 
TikTok. The number one question people always ask me is say, hey, what cert do I need to get into cybersecurity? And I say, you're asking me the wrong question. It's not what cert I need to get in cybersecurity, but Let's what go. skills should I learn to do the yep. role that I want to do in cybersecurity? So earlier you mentioned that you put in the work to do a lot of self-study in 10 months time. What made you go that route versus going to cert it up? Yeah, absolutely. So for full transparency, I definitely had the cert mindset at the beginning, right? During when I was in the boot camp, I graduated the boot camp in April. I got my CD plus a month later. Then through mentorship, he, he, I was like, what, what cert do I need to get next? He's like, what skills can you do? I was like, I got the security plus. He's like, but well, what can you do? I was like, what do you mean? And then that's when I started to do hands-on labs. That's when I started to flex my intelligence and what I learned through those. Cert- so basically, I would say get the foundational understanding of what cybersecurity is, learn the domains, understand what vulnerabilities are, understand what a threat is, understand what a, what a weakness, you know, what, understand those foundations. Then I would say, use those skills and show those skills off. The certs are good to get past like HR, like those ES systems and stuff like that. But if you're able to showcase those skills and then maximize your networking, maximize your networking on LinkedIn, so what I did was, I'm going to give you the sauce. So once I got that first certification and then I got through my mentor and he started saying flex those skills, I, I picked three domains in cybersecurity that I wanted to be in. The biggest thing that people try and when they want to say, I want to be in cybersecurity, that's such a broad term. Then they go even broader. I want to be a SOC analyst. Like that, a SOC analyst can do many things. So I figured out how, and how I break it down is, do I want to be on the proactive side or do I want to be on the reactive side? Proactive side would be, you know, vulnerability management, threat intelligence, being proactively to understand the threat landscape and how can I be pre- preventative and safeguard my organization? Or do I want to be on the reactive side, be like an responder, stuff like that, and respond to some malicious actors who potentially could, you know, affect the organization, right? So I was like, I want to be on the proactive side. So what skills do I need to learn? All right, proactive side, vulnerability management. I'm kind of going into that side. Vulnerability management, they use solution scanners. So I need to understand what how those kind of operate. Then I need to understand how I prioritize those vulnerabilities within the organization. These are all skills that you need to know and be able to talk about and demonstrate. I don't know if there's a cert out. I know Qualys. I may have like certs out for like vulnerability management, but is there like a CompTIA cert on that? No. Nope. Okay, so I had to show those skills and maybe articulate it to where they understand if maybe I was in front of that vulnerability scanner, I'm able to operate and maneuver within that, right? So then, so I picked those three domains, I narrowed it down to one, and then on the networking tip, you asked me how did I get into how did I how did I do that? Mm-hmm. So it was in ten months. So I started. I went on LinkedIn. I started following. I got a couple companies that I wanted to apply for. And then I started following all those people within that company that did the role that I wanted to do. I started following all of them. They did vulnerability management. I started following them. They were an engineer. I followed them. And then I started networking with them like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Can I you know, chat with you? Maybe get some insights, stuff like that. I started networking, networking with them. But it was genuine, right? I wasn't just trying to take, take, take. I was like, all right, well, what can I do to help you? Or like kind of do a little bit of research on them. Like what is their lifestyle? What is their like into it? Because when you do get a response back, be able to have that dialogue with them. You know, like, hey, hey, Z, like how do I get into cybersecurity? What do I need to do? Blah, 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 blah. No, like have a genuine conversation. You know what I'm saying? In that, 
in that same fact, they're going to want to help you. So what I did was I found someone in vulnerability management that was able to tell me the exact skills, not the certs, but the skills that I need to do to learn to be able to do that job. Then I found someone in threat intelligence who told me exactly how I need to analytically think to be able to do that role. And I started learning stuff about that. And then, you know, the, um, the, the offer was presented to me. I was able to flex my, my intelligence in that role. And then that was it. I only applied nice. for one role in cybersecurity and I got it. I don't know. We're just hoping. That's dope, man, because you really got into my bag or what I'll be telling people to do, especially when you got into as simple as it seems. And people can't believe when I give them this advice because I said it on my TikTok. Find somebody that does the job you want to do or a couple of people and ask them, what do they do? What do you need to learn? 100%. Because that way you can get a good mix of what people do at different companies and have a good variety of skill sets. Mm-hmm. And then also, like you said, when you build that organic relationship with them and they see you putting in the work, because the whole thing about an interview process is they're trying to peep you out, trying to see how would you do with the team. But if you already make a genuine connection with someone outside of that and then a role comes up and you have you know the skill set to do it, most of the time they'll say, hey, man, we got this role open up, but you should apply. And if they it's- like you, most of the time the team will. And I've Absolutely. experienced this plenty of time. So you're definitely right when you say that. 1,000%. And you, you kind of t- uh, touched on something else I wanted to mention. Remind you, I was a contractor for the company already. So the networking process of it was a little bit easier. So I was able to network with people within the company. Like, And I would recommend that for someone at a help desk position right now. Like, If you're in a help desk position, your organization has a city team, I'm, I'm rubbing shoulders with engineers and analysts in the company. Like, I'm trying to, I'm, like, you want to go grab lunch? like trying to get as much game from them as I can because you're already there. Like if you're already in the tech role, like just network within them, learn the skills that this, that's needed to do the role that you want to apply for. And then like you're in, like if like you said, they're just trying to see if you're a good fit, right? It's not always so technical. Everyone thinks that I have to be like a bot and sit in the interview and ask, ask answer every question correctly. No, they want to make sure you're a good fit. Are you someone that they want to work with? Are you a good team player? Like, that's what they want to see. And then the best way to do that is document your journey through LinkedIn. People are going to be able to see that and refer back to that to make it really like to really point it out. You know, once I felt like I was, you know, once I knew I was ready and I, I saw the role that I wanted to apply for, I was like, it was actually sent to me, sent to me. And I was like, okay, I looked at it. I was like, I can do most of that, but I don't think I'm ready. And you had made a video about it and she told me the same exact thing. She was like, Apply for it and let them tell you and let them say and let them say no. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I wanted to write back and be like, but and I wanted to be like, but and I was like, how can I argue with that? Like, let them tell me no. And I applied for it. You know, I reached out to the to the the, the manager, built a good relationship with him, talked to him, mm-hmm. you know, everything went well, and then got an interview a day later. Three three technical interviews, and it was that was a wrap. Yeah, man. I have some things I want to say about that, but they're probably be on the Patreon first, and then they'll be released some next year. I can't say. Let me let me know if I'm dropping too much, man. Let me know if I'm no, 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 no. It's not the fact. I would put it on for free, but I can't. You know, it's an old saying. You can't know the let the right hand know what the left one doing. No doubt. So that's why it will go on a Patreon. So if you're watching right now and you do want to support the channel and also get time with me, like that's not connected to YouTube or anything else, join the Patreon. Get benefits of just. Direct access to me, look up your resume, career questions, those benefits, as well as videos. 
I can put on Patreon early on that I can't necessarily put on YouTube right away. Matter of fact, I uploaded a podcast that was like pre-recorded like a couple of weeks ago that's on there right now that'll probably come out on YouTube like next week. So yeah, man, support the Patreon. But dope, man. So what we'll go into now is, so right now you are doing, I think, if I'm not mistaken, cyber threat intelligence and vulnerability management, right? Yeah, no doubt. Hold on. Give me okay. one second. Give me one second real quick. Okay. All right. Try to mute him. All right. So I muted his mic, man. What's good, y'all? I got to update this. See, in StreamYard, it has a little bit more functionality where I could just put it on him or me while we're talking. For whatever reason, I can't do it on here, but I will do it in Streamlabs pretty soon. Hey, shout out to Gabe Bay. Shout out for the super chat. Let me see where he went. Okay. He's back now. Let me unmute him. You hear me? All right. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. You back? All right, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, so can you explain to the audience what is cyber threat intelligence and also what is vulnerability management? Yeah, no doubt. So cyber threat intelligence is basically understanding the threat landscape of you know what's going on, the information, being able to disseminate what information is to your organization, being able to give that information or transfer that information and break it down to layman terms to the appropriate teams or leadership, right? So basically staying up to date what's going on in the threat landscape. And that can be done through different different tools or open source intelligence, stuff like that on the dark web as well. And then vulnerability, vulnerability management is basically understanding that zero days come out, different CVEs, building, I always say this, building genuine relationships with different teams within the organization, working with them with remediation projects, being able to let them know in a digestible way how they can remediate and start working on different vulnerabilities within their systems and prioritizing that by asset management and also by the criticality scores of different CVEs that come in and stuff like that. That's dope. So so I got some loaded questions for you. (laughs) You've got to break them down since you do two roles. All right. So Earlier on, I asked you about what your day-to-day was like when you did help desk. Mm-hmm. So now, can you tell the viewers, and we know cybersecurity, so every day isn't the same. Absolutely. But what are the responsibilities that you have at work being doing vulnerability management and cyber threat intelligence? Yeah. So my responsibility is obviously, like I said, staying up to date on what's going out, what's going on in, you know, on the threat landscape, what kind of threats are being talked about, and then also on the dark website, being able to use certain tools to be able to see what's going on in that and what could potentially affect the organization. So stay basically doing that, staying up to date on that. And then on the vulnerability management side, working with different teams, server teams, server ops teams, stuff like that, and building remediation projects special to that team and working with them, having weekly meetings, a lot of meetings, having meetings with them, talking about what vulnerabilities they have, their processes and what they're going to do to start patching or in, you know, how they're going to work with those vulnerabilities. And then also have weekly meetings with leadership, also work on different projects that are presented to me. My day-to-day definitely is never the same. Yeah. That's dope. You you said a lot. That's a a mouthful. But you said dark web twice. And a lot of our listeners may not know what the dark web is. So could you explain that to them? Kind of, you know, what the dark web is? I would say basically information that 
could potentially be sold, like leak credentials, data, you know, data leakage in, in a nutshell, that is on the dark web that's being sold by different threat actors. I, I'll leave it at that in layman terms. In layman terms, I would say it's kind of like the, the alleys or the hood of the internet. Exactly. Um, the wild. <laughs> if you've ever seen Lion King, when Mufasa said like, hey, you can go to everything the light touches, that right. represents the internet. Now, 100%. when he went to where the hyenas were, that was the, I forgot what type, what the name was, but where the hyenas were, you could sit at the dark web and you've seen Simba almost lost his life out there. So don't travel to the dark web if you do not know how to do it because it could be dangerous for you. So 100%. Do 100%. the information as you may. But now we'll go back into, you said you need to learn certain skills to be proactive instead of being more blue team. Let's talk about some of the skills needs to do cyber threat intelligence and vulnerability management. And then after that, I will ask you what tools do you think like are indispensable to your role? Like you could probably not do, you know, your role without, or that you found to be underrated doing your role. Right. I would say definitely the, I'll start with the underrated. The most underrated tool would be writing. I didn't know how important writing would be in both of my roles. Well, my role, but I do two different things. Yeah. You're writing a lot of reports. You're, you're writing meeting notes, like different things. Like writing is very important. And there's a specific kind of language, like business writing, like not just like how you would text or whatever, or write some to like an email, or whatever. There's a certain language that needs to be used. So I would say the underrated skill would be writing skills and threat intelligence that you would need definitely is you want to be curious, right? You, you want to know what's going on in the world. So you, it's not one of the things where you can just wake up and be like, well, I'm not going to check, you know, what's going, I'm not going to check any of my social medias or stuff like that. Like that's, even though people don't do that, everyone's checking their social media every day, but you want to be curious. You want to be able to communicate. You want to be able to take something that a, a sentence or a, a paragraph that's very technical has words Words that most people who aren't in InfoSec won't understand and be able to break that down into something in layman terms that you can be able to present to high level leadership and, you know, if the intelligence warrants that, right? So I would say be able to communicate. Vulnerability management, I would say you would need a, a good foundational understanding of cybersecurity in general, right? You want to know networking. I would say that too. I'm starting to understand that networking is very important in cybersecurity. And I was, it's funny, every all of the content creators I, I watch now, they all speak about networking. And I, I was going to take the CompTIA Network Plus, but I was like, nah, I'm okay. Definitely <laughs> want to revisit that. Networking on vulnerability management is important. Being able to prioritize things, understand what's important and what's not. Critical thinking and and building relationships, right? So on the vulnerability management side, you're not physically fixing anything, but you have to communicate and build a relationship with the team. Let's say it's a platform team to be able to patch and do those things that you need to be done to overall mature the security posture of the organization, right? So you want to have a good relationship with those teams so they're able to you know, do what you ne- they need to do as far as patching and stuff like that. Yeah. The CTI team be having a lot of fun too, man. Y'all be right, learning a lot of right. skills. You're right. That people aren't aware of. And I've been telling people this, like cyber threat intelligence has like a low barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. And it's a very good role. Very good paying role. I also say I think it's a good role. And I'm not being like, I guess what, sexist or misogynist, whatever words they want to use. Right. I think women do great in that. Shout out to my friend Shamika. She does cyber threat intelligence for Twilio. Mm-hmm. But women would do well in it by large because they are 
most of the time curious. Absolutely. And they got a lot of time. They've been good at lurking since social media existed. Existed. I'm sorry. Right. So right. just imagine what they could do with some like training. Speaking of that short story at Afrotech, I was talking to my friend Nay, and she was talking about how I think she's talked to this dude in cybersecurity and how like she learned some stuff from him on top of the stuff she knows from being a sorcerer of really how being able to specifically search for things and find out information, which is key. So Absolutely. go back and watch the episode. I think it's like called How to Be a Tech Sorcerer or something like that. It's it's on the playlist, but go back and watch that if you also think interested in being a sorcerer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're right. I believe as well women would would flourish in that in in the, in the cyber threat world, like in the intel world. You know, I agree, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, but let's get back into and I can't remember if you touched on it or not yet. But the tools. What are some underrated tools or also some tools that you feel like someone can learn on their own to pretty much say, make a, like a, a threat intel type of resume? Yeah. On the threat intel side, I would say being able to, like I said, be able to first figure out what is relevant information, right? There's information being dispersed daily about, you know, cyber threats and stuff like that. It doesn't do me no good. And I'm kind of talking about the tool. The tool right now would be critical thinking and data like analytics, right? Like understanding that if a threat actor is, you know, known for doing malicious attacks in, you know, a, a financial industry in China, and that has no relevance to the organization that I could potentially be working for, that information is not needed. That's not something that you want to speak about or stuff like that, right? So being able to look at the threat landscape pick out what could potentially be relevant, then that information will become, you know, before it becomes intel, understand what that information is, and then being able to then, you know, understand it, you know, be able to break it down, and then if needed, present it to the proper, you know, the proper team or leadership in layman terms, right? You don't want to take that same information that you've read and understood and give it to a CISO. He's going to look at it and be like, what what does this mean? He needs the meat and potatoes of what this intelligence means. Right. And then on the vulnerability management side, I would say you you would you would need to understand so tools, you you need to understand vulnerability scanners, right? Organizations use a vulnerability scanner, whether it's you know, I'm tenable, rabbit seven, stuff like that. But I would say personally, I would use the I think like Nessus has like free trials or something like that. Or I would go mm-hmm. to try hack me. But the thing about this, let me be specific. TryHackMe may have like open vows or something like that, a, a vulnerability scanner tool you can use. But I would do that. I would do that course or whatever it is, that course on TryHackMe. I would then build upon it, right? And I would make mm-hmm. sure I would record it too. I would record me doing each step, do that, do like a YouTube video or whatever I need to do, record it. And then I would add that on my resume then as like experience or hands-on lab experiment, like something like that. That's how I would do it. So if they're like, hey, do you have any experience with vulnerability scanners? Instead of me saying, yeah, yeah, I know Nessus. I can be like, no, I actually did Nessus. I was able to do a, a quick scan, a quick credential scan or whatever. Then I was able to prioritize it by different assets and stuff like that. And now that person, that, rec- that hiring manager, whatever, knows that you're able to maneuver within the vulnerability scanner, not just saying that you know what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you didn't say MMAP, only because it's, it's open source and it's something that you're right. people can get their hands on uh, fairly easy. 
And You're just right. being able to run that from a command line. Because uh, I used to use ZenMap because that's the GUI-based one, which it tells right. you the same commands. Oh. Right, right. And if you are a person looking to get experience like that, if you a member of a church or some other nonprofit, mm-hmm. drop like a click or something like that, right? And ask them. And, well, first and foremost, you have to get permission to scan anything. Absolutely. You mess around and scan the wrong thing or you take something down you're not supposed to, you could Good possibly problem. go into jail. Yep. So always get permission and make sure it implicitly states, you know, what you're scanning for. But if you can do that at a church and, and figure out, hey, they got some vulnerabilities, you know, in their network, even on, you know, some of their endpoints, you can make up a little report. You could talk about it, probably blur the stuff out, like you said, in a video or like a blog post. But that's right. a really good talking point when you come into an interview when you don't have a whole lot of experience. Right. Right. I always say like, you know, the people that I'm mentoring now, I'm, you know, same thing, the cert, like, I don't know what it is, but everyone's, I guess this is kind of more of a, people want to flex on LinkedIn. Like, Hey, I have this cert, this cert, this cert. So everyone's asking me like, you know, well, the people I mentor right now, they're like, well, what cert do I need to get? And I'm like, well, what can you do? Like, what skills can you do? What role do you want to do? Do you know what side, like, what do you want to be an incident responder? Like those kind of things. But I would say anything, like any skill that you learn, record yourself doing it, like do a video showing that you can do that skill and put it on your resume or make like a LinkedIn, I mean, not a LinkedIn, but make a YouTube channel and then add that link on your resume. So they're able to click on it and then look at all the work you've done. I wouldn't add it to the resume unless you had like a link, like it's like external website or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it had all your things on it. Or a lot of times, what I used to do was like almost two years ago, I recorded myself doing the boss of the sock data set. On like trihacking. Nah, I did it from INE. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know about that. Yeah. I mean, all of them use Splunk's data set. But the thing was, I used to send that to recruiters after they was like looking at me for some roles. I'll get them a link so they could share it with the hiring manager or whatever. And most of the time, I end up getting interviews off that because I'm explaining what I'm doing through this hour long video. Right. Mm-hmm. I would also suggest people, some people have to take the courage to record, but start a medium blog, start documentation, right? If you're learning new information, one of the easiest ways to retain it is to practice and also write about it. Doing those two combos will make it easier for you when it comes to interviews because the good interviews aren't really trying to trip you up. They're really just trying to see, hey, do you possess the skill set we need to do this role? Now, other interviewers, We'll try to trip you up. And that could possibly be a company you don't want to work at. So you don't really want to worry about that too much. But it's all about retaining information. See, the biggest issue with chasing certs is you're not retaining information. I had a consultation with a guy, I think it was like last week. He had been doing like IT for a while. And so he got the SEC plus and said, you know, it didn't help him out, which I know why it didn't help him out because... He didn't learn the requisite things to do whatever security role he wanted to land. Right. So he was like, yeah, I'm studying for this CYSA plus. And I was like, what's going to be the difference between you getting that now versus not working on the skills that you need to work on to land something? And he kind of right. couldn't answer it. And that's because I'm going to stop it right here. Certs are beneficial. Don't get me wrong. A cert could be a springboard for you wanting to niche down into something. So it can introduce you to information. But for the most of the time, it's not practical enough to measure, you know, your competence in the thing you're getting a certification in. Unless you get something like the Blue Team Level 1, INE has the ECIR, EJPT, 
and some other ones. And I think OSEP should be practical. I don't know. There's a couple of practical certifications out there. Right. Those are a little bit different because you have to do things to pass them. It's not right. you just memorizing how come TIA or C Council or ISACA or IC Squared likes a question answered. So that's why like, we really don't mind people getting certifications because you can learn some information from it. But when you start chasing them, it's similar to when we were in school. One semester, you learn all this. You don't use it next semester. So you forget about it. Right. And that's the issue you run into when you chase certs. A hundred percent. hundred percent. I was trying to see somebody was in the chat was saying something. Shout out to everybody in the chat, man. We really got a good audience. This might be the time that I start going live at. Let's let's ask the money question real quick, man. So what we'll do two things, right? And I know for you, I think you did an internal move. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Correct. Okay. But even from the internal move, what was like the pay jump for you going from help desk to CTI and VM management? I would say first of all, I'll say life changing. One. Two, just about triple annual annual income, right? So so, so for our viewers, man, they want that amount, man. They they want that amount. I know <laughs> uh, a lot of people. We are taboo about like money. yeah, no, hundred percent for a range. Well, I feel like I could potentially talk about help this. You could say you don't necessarily have to tell us the exact number oh, of the new range. You could tell us like maybe what the total compensation is or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But 100%. I've been trying to get better at like making this a more transparent show. Right. And I'm just talking about the like, you know, money you could make if you put the work in, eventually, you know, good things will come. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. So basically at a at a at a help desk level, level one, typically I would say between thirty-four and maybe forty K, thirty-four, forty right. K. That's about the range for a help desk. And then pivoting into and just for context, remember I do two roles, right? So typically I and I'll break it down. Typically a vulnerability management analyst, maybe in mid We'll do entry level, like a, a tier one, maybe make between 60 and 75K. And then on the threat intel, maybe a little bit higher. Like you said, that role is, is definitely a hot role right now. And a lot of people aren't talking about it. But threat intel may do like between 75 and 85K. So, nice. and, and those are, those are entry levels. A mid level vulnerability and threat intel analysts would, probably be between 95 and 115k just about six figures little little over six figures yeah definitely and i could tell you i've been reached out for like third intel roles before granted some of mine are a little bit more finance based cuz i've been doing pretty much been working at finance companies this whole year so i've been attracting a lot of those and so the numbers get bigger than that i would just say based on where you go your experience your mm-hmm. network you'll be surprised like what you can make. Like, and I'm talking about, so for example, what he just said, what his jump was, there are jobs that'll pay you base like three times. I didn't. And now I was just going to kind of clarify that as well, just to kind of go in, like you said, full transparency, 95 to a hundred and we'll say 120, 120 mm-hmm. K is just a base, right? There's sign on bonuses. Sign on bonuses can mm-hmm. go up to at least, you know, 15, 20 K depending on like what you negotiate. So, so I even could, more, I could, even more. Right. So let's say my base is, you know, Hypothetically, let's say it's like 120k. I do a mm-hmm. sign-on bonus for 20k. That's 140. Benefits package would be another four, you know, almost 60k. So you could potentially be in a almost 200,000k range right. in a mid-level. So let me just yeah. clarify that. 
No, no, no. You're good. You're good. <laughs> Let me get the Tay Rock for you. Okay, cool. Bad weather freak. 60K is definitely more than what I'm making now. Yeah, like, I wonder if can I can find that tweet, man, because it's a good thing. So, why I can go live. Let me see if I can find that tweet. It, it went it went kind of viral. Hey, man, if y'all still with me, put a one in the chat right now. If y'all still with us right now, put a one in the chat. I'm coming to y'all real soon. Actually, let me see if it's right here. Do you follow me on Twitter? Yeah. Okay. So you might know what, what tweet I'm talking about. Okay. Here it is. I'm finna share my screen now. All right. Can you see my screen? Yeah. All right. So y'all, I made this tweet. Since we're talking about money right now, this is a good segment right here. I told people, Twitter will have you believing above average salaries, like 120K, 130K, et cetera, ain't money. Don't let these people fool you. I forgot the you. I be typing too fast sometimes. The data don't lie on what average Americans make. 1,000%, man. And look at this. It got 238 retweets, 42 quote tweets, and 795 likes. And briefly, a lot of people was trying to compare cost of living. And even when you compare cost of living, these salaries were still more than what some people made in those areas. So. And I made this statement because a lot of people will feel like they're not doing what they need to do and they're making over six figures. You're in the top percentile of earners in the country. You're in the top. The average salary, I mean, the last time I checked is like a little less than 50K. That's the average salary in the United States, 50K. Like, for example, this dude was talking about some, these are the cities in New York with the highest average salaries per zip recruiter. Oh, oh no, he was actually making my case. This dude right here was just talking about that. Talking about, oh, well, after taxes, like 70 or whatever. So I'm just like, y'all missing the point. Y'all really are. I'm trying to see if I had any interesting quote tweets. Like, I get it, but they missed the point with this one too. So it was pretty fun. So I just wanted to share that. I think it's a good way too on here. I'm surprised you didn't talk about. So I've been going through Try Hack Me, just like some of the basic stuff. So I see if I want to recommend it. So I'm surprised like you didn't bring up this Talos or what's the other one they gave me? Fish Tool, Abuse H. And it was another one that people would typically use for a cyber threat intake. Let me stop shit. Yeah, I was surprised you didn't bring up some of those just from kind of getting people in the, in the groove of maybe, okay. I got I got a good question for you. What are some sites that people can use to kind of keep up on cybersecurity news or whatever? Yeah, definitely. I would say go on Twitter, type in cybersecurity, follow like the first top five that pop up, follow Leaping Computer. That's one. Dark. That's one of my favorites. Leaping Computer. Yeah. Dark News. I think that's what's called the Dark News. The CISA. What else? They're, they're blanking. I have like a folder that I like go through every day, so I can't. I don't. I don't remember all the names, but Bleeping Computer is a really good one. The day I think the Daily Cyber News is one. I think that's the name mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. So those are some good ones to start with. I would and and mind you, like the the information on these open source intelligence could be similar, but at the same time, they could you know one might post something that the other one might have it that day. So it's good to have a good mixture of a right. couple. Yeah. So if you. Anybody who was familiar with my Slack channel, I have a security news channel and it has a bleeping computer, like the RSS feed, the hacker mm-hmm. news. The hacker I think news I got one from NIST, Krebs on security, digital shadows. What else did I add on here? But the reason why I asked you that question as well is because in interviews, I've been asked, hey, how do you keep up with cybersecurity news? And that's one of those things people typically ask and they just sometimes don't know like where they can go to get the information from. 
one thousand percent. I would I would definitely say if you want to apply for if, if you're going to apply for a cyber intel role, that question will come up one thousand percent. Where you get your cybersecurity news or how you stay up to date. Right. But let's get into some other questions uh, before I give you some of your evening back, man. So how has it been for you being a black man navigating corporate America so far? That's a great question. I know we kind of, I spoke to you about it earlier, but the biggest thing for me was understanding what my strengths were as far as, you know, I knew what I wanted to do. I wasn't going to let any get in the way of that. And I wasn't going to switch up, right? I wasn't going to code switch. I, I went into the interviews as myself. I speak to leadership high level as myself and basically have respect, you know, have respect for everyone, you know, no matter who it is and carry yourself as if you carry yourself at that level, you you're able to build genuine relationships with people and you never know where you can end up after that. Right. I always say, you know, you don't want to treat anyone bad. It could be your boss one day. So I definitely move maneuver as such. So very conscious of how I treat people in, in, in that space for sure. Yeah, definitely. That's me. I, I think I made another tweet saying like, hey, work hard at every job you go to. You never know if someone you work with will become a director one day and you might want to work at that company. If they remember you did good work with them, you know, they have no trouble either referring you or trying to just bring you right on to the team if it's their team. I'll tell you from personal experience, that's having a good name and a good reputation, a good brand really helps you. Like even for interviews, like this past year and recently doing interviews and people kind of managers look at me up and say, yeah, you know, I've, I've seen some of your content. I watch your podcast. I like your content, man. Right. And in doing so, people have gotten a feel for what type of person I am, which helps out when it comes to the interview process. Because, you know, most people, we are putting on some type of a facade when you're interviewing. But I have so much content now, you can just go back and see the consistency and what I stand for and what I believe in and how I treat people and have helped and mentor people mm-hmm. to where you like, man, this is this is who he is. This is what we're getting. Like, right. you know, so that's why I am on a lot of people for them to go ahead and just start branding themselves. It just yeah. helps out. It's I said it the other, earlier this week. It's not who you know, but who knows you. One thousand percent. One thousand percent. And I actually a lot of these questions already. The fun one I always like to ask, like, I don't mm-hmm. know if you are single or not. Like, are you single? <laughs> I'm married to the streets, man. I was going to say some woman is watching this right now and say, what do you mean you single? But uh, ma, so I'll, I guess I'll ask the general way of saying like, you know, what would your mom or dad, you know, what would they say you do for a living? If someone says, hey, what is, what's not to do for a living? Like, how would they explain it? It's funny you said that. That's a, that's a good question. They, they, they call me Mr. Technology. So when people ask him, they're like, he's in tech. They keep it very broad. Yeah, that's it, really. That's, that's kind of like the running joke in the family <laughs> group chat. They call me Mr. Technology. So... Whenever, you know, they're not able to send text or copy, like just very minuscule tech problems. I'm they getting texts you. and calls. Yeah. 1000%. Even if it has nothing to do in my wheelhouse, like I told my mother, I'm not in the help desk anymore. I'm not troubleshooting stuff. So they're still going to call you. My aunt 1, will call 000. me right now if something's not working correctly. Right. Every time. Just because they know you know something to do with computers. It's like, it's crazy. Right. So, man. What's what's next for you? Like, so I know this is like the tip of the iceberg for you right now. Like, what's down the pipe? You know, you know, you've been in interviews a lot of times. Hey, oh, so what you see yourself in five years? Like, what do you plan yeah. on doing? Like, you know, I think you do the type of job where you could easily have a good darknet diaries type podcast eventually, just because of making information like that exciting is cool. Like I seen that 
an article or something today, like this ransomware group said they have never hacked some company in Asia again because their network was so horrible. They ran <laughs> up out of there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, talking about something like that, you know, it's yeah. cool. So kind of like, like what's next for you? And then we'll get into kind of like where our viewers and listeners, where they can keep in contact with you at. Yeah, no doubt. So basically you spoke on it earlier, building my brand, you know, putting myself more out there. I had, I had this like thing that I had to be like, like you spoke about, I wasn't qualified, like that imposter syndrome, but I don't like, I don't, imposter syndrome is only like a thing. It's literally a thing for everyone, right? Any room you Mm -hmm. go in, you're going to feel like you're not as technical as most people, right? I'm in rooms with engineers and architects. I know like, I'm not going to understand everything they know. So, but other than that, building my brand, mentoring, like I said, just because my journey has been like so unique, being able to pivot into cybersecurity so quickly, a lot of people have been reaching out to me on how they can do that as well. And so just, you know, mentoring people, building upon that on, on a, I guess a corporate side level, definitely want to eventually transition to the cloud, cloud security. That's one of my passions as well. I've been learning a lot of US and stuff like upskilling. Upskilling is very important as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So doing that and then building in the future a program to be able to teach these core foundational principles of cybersecurity to the younger generation, man. Like that's going to be very important. Letting them understand what cybersecurity is, what technology is at a younger age, man, when they're like in their high school or not even high school, junior high, elementary level, right? Right. I was going to say before that, because I mean, these kids have phones like such an early age. Right. And that's the scary thing too. A lot of these parents don't even know how to use, like protect themselves on it. And you're giving your child, you know, a device that, yeah, can keep them entertained, but can also be very dangerous if you do not protect it in the way you should, you know. I'm thinking about if my kids get phones, I'm going to put a EM on their devices. (laughs) Shoot. That's next level, but I, I respect it. Next level, but I respect it. But that's dope, man. So where can our listeners, where can they find you at? Yeah, on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, CyberClout. That's kind of the name. I've been, that's the name I'm going by, CyberClout, only because, and I'll kind of put some preference on that. I want to make cybersecurity cool. I know we didn't really kind of talk about it, but cyber CyberClout is going to make cybersecurity cool, right? We're going to make let people know that not everyone in tech is like people with hoodies on sitting in the basement and like hacking stuff, right? So they can find me on CyberCloud on all platforms. And just really quick, I want to give you your flowers as well, man. Keep putting out the content you're doing. Very important. I've learned a lot from you and I appreciate you, man. No doubt. Man, I appreciate that, man. I got, trust me, I got some content that I'm working on. I just, to be honest, you know, the people watching that listen to me with work kind of had, I wasn't inspired about the podcast if I did, but I didn't have the the excitement that I would normally have based on what I was doing every day, right? But going to Afrotech kind of recharged me and I'm like back and I've been energetic. You know, I've been either between figuring out how to grow the podcast, get more subs. I've also been, you know, having it up on my own, opening up my Azure environment again, you know, playing around with that. (laughs) That's kind of how you learn. But no, I I definitely got some stuff going on. I got some programs. Shout out to my guy, Kenneth. If you want to learn Splunk, Sim and Source stuff, get with him at Ellington Cyber Academy. We're working together. And hopefully I plan to try to bring something blue team related to you guys. That could be really helpful. Like I want to make a course to where if you got a job offer today, within two weeks, you will have like the basic fundamentals of knowing how to do your job. So Absolutely. that's kind of what I want to aim for. That's like kind of teaching you 
what exactly you need to know. Yeah. And real quick, man, I, I'll be, there's a book on Amazon. It's called Cyber Shooters. Go ahead and get that. I learned a lot from that book, Cyber Shooters on Amazon by Nate Boston. Go ahead and copy. Hold on, hold on. Let me, let me, let me get that link real quick. You said Cyber Shooters, Nate Boston. By Nate Boston. That's Boston, B-O-S-S-O-N. Boston, B-O-S-T-O-N. Gotcha. No Celtics. Let me see. I think this is it. All right. I forgot. I had a question earlier. I forgot. I didn't want to. <coughs> let me make sure we got all the questions real quick. Oh, cool. Gabe was saying most threat intel leaders he know are former NSA or other government agencies. Do you see the same in your peers, previous government agency folk? In the leadership levels, for sure. Okay. Etoro Miggins says, what are certain websites, books, etc., that you use to develop your skills? Yeah. Some websites would be, I would, here, I'll put it like this. I would use these three platforms. I would use Let's Defend, Try Hack Me, and Hack the Box. I would go through courses that are relevant to the roles that I would want, that I want to get in. And then on other resources would be following YouTube creators who are in the space or the field that you want to get to get into as well. So if you want to get into cloud security, I would follow people like Day, GPS. If you want to get a broad understanding of different, you know, I think you have a sock in a day. Like what's a, what's a, yeah, I got what's a life I can do some more next year. Too. Absolutely. Absolutely. But just find content creators on YouTube, man. I, I, I'm i going to keep it a, a stack. I'm literally a graduate of YouTube university. A lot of the <laughs> stuff that I learned was from YouTube. I didn't go to college. I don't have a college degree. I went to a six month boot camp. Definitely learned a lot of hands on skills within that boot camp with the red team, like penetration testing, stuff like that. And then the blue team as well. But a lot of the information that I know now is on YouTube. It's, it's easily Googleable. Just you doing that in itself is, you know, a skill within on the red team side. So being able to know how to Google stuff. Nice. Gabe also had another question. He wants to know what type of dark web research tool do you use? Yeah, I can't. It's a tool within the organization. So is it like I, a I, is it a third party tool or is it something that you yes. guys develop? It's a third. It's a third party. Well, yeah, I mean, if it it's a commonly named tool, I don't think you know you'll be breaching it. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, tool. like, all right. So one of them would be Kroll. Okay, Kroll. Cool. I know briefly at the SOC, like uh, we were for the Fusion Center and my company provided like a dark web monitoring, pretty much like a digital shadow service oh, okay, um, okay, okay. to the client. And so we used to use this tool called Insights that will pretty much parse the dark web and mm-hmm. we'll go through the cases like where it's like a, somebody and being a poster of like a leadership role on LinkedIn, but, you know, don't really work at the company, leak credentials to people's profiles. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to see what else, but it was, that was a pretty cool. But they kind of dropped the client dropped that service, so we stopped using it. But it, it was a it was pretty cool. It kind of got to see like that dark web cyber threat intelligence stuff that you know mm-hmm. companies do. And I would say as well, like a, a good skill, obviously, is scripting. Right, being able to learn Python, and if you could write a script to be able to pull the mm-hmm. information that you need off, you know, the internet, that that would be a dangerous, you know, a very skill that you, a, a very good skill that you have that will set you apart from a lot of people. Yeah. Funny that you say that. We used to use this script that would pull the stuff we needed. I want to say it was from the cases or something. We used to, we used to use the script and then it would put the stuff in a, a CSV file for us when we ran the script. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I'm trying to see if we got everything. For I think we got everything. So I think the last question, and I forgot to ask you this because I was so pressed on the other stuff. 
What was your boot camp experience like? Um, would you recommend it again for someone needing just a solid foundation without like going through four years of schooling or, or what? Yeah. So my boot camp experience was really good. The boot camp is going to give you a lot of hands on skills, it's the skills that you need on both. Well, the boot camp I went through on both the red team and the blue team in a short amount of period. So, and it gives you structure. That's the biggest thing, right? So when people are trying to learn all this stuff about cybersecurity, they're going all over the place. They're learning about, you know, cloud security, US, they're learning about vulnerability management. So it kind of, the, the boot camp gives you structure. It gives you hands-on skills about the fundamentals you need to know. It also, ta- it also taught me about scripting. I was able to learn Python through there. I was able to learn, you know, what penetration, penetration testing is and the difference between that and red teaming, stuff like that, even purple teaming, what that is. What I recommend it, what I would say is I would recommend it to someone else if you have trouble having a foundational structure of learning information. If you're learning information, you know, sporadically, then a boot camp will give you that foundation and that structure to learn it in a short amount of time and give you a lot of great tools and skills to, to know. Nice. Because, you know, everybody has their own kind of, you know, difference of opinion on boot camps because, yeah. you know, how that can go. I'm trying to say, I think we had my guy Josh is being funny over here. He said, in your role, did you need to have any Linux? I had to act. No, I don't. I do understand Linux. I can move within the command line, but to, to do what I do, no. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with my guy Keep It Techie, but he got a dope channel. He got a Linux course. Oh, okay. He pretty much reports on like all things Linux, and he's constantly talking about open source tools you can use on Linux, and mm-hmm. he like does a lot of reporting stuff like on the Cyber News and stuff as well. So uh, That's really definitely good. check him out. Hundred percent, and Linux is very important. So whatever I would definitely check that out. Linux is very important in cybersecurity. Facts, and I think this last question here is: They ask, are you part of any good, <clears throat> preferably black mentorship slash tech focused orgs? No, but I do plan on joining some soon. I've just, like I said, I'm new into my role, so I'm obviously very busy, and there's a lot of work to be done. So I haven't really got into that. The mentors that I do have, I met you know, through my journey, I would say, like I said, the biggest thing is find like three roles that you want to do, find some companies that you want to go for, start following people within those companies that are similar to your role and start a mentorship through that. Meet them, be genuine. And and, and those could be your mentors right there. Nice, man. All right. So I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Uh, if y'all enjoyed this conversation, leave a comment below on what you took away or any questions that we didn't answer. We can come back and answer those. I'll make sure to add a Nigel's socials as well as I think he has a new YouTube channel. He's going to be starting pretty soon. I'll have that in the description. And when you listen to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, really any podcast or streaming platform, please leave us a review. It really helps out in the metrics and it helps the, the reach of this podcast keep growing. So appreciate everybody. And until next time, let's stay textual. We out. All right. I'm finna stop it.